Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Graves, former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser, and former Scotland international, but now French resident, Johnny Beatty. And um, we had Trevor Brennan on the show last week, didn't we, Johnny? And he was telling us that he's a France fan now. So how did this week's game? Are you, are you a France fan or? I'm split, mate. Completely split. Look, all I know is the kids went back to school this morning, so I'm delighted. Um, and look, I think there's been things breaking news-wise ahead of this weekend's game. Not sure if it's going to go ahead, but either way, we'd love to see Scotland win in Paris for the first time again, like they did at Twickenham in a long, long time. But I think with the hurdles that France have encountered and the things that have been put in front of them, especially this week now with COVID, it would be amazing for their story to see them win as well. I am listening like the Bible to every single tweet of the French Federation telling me, right, the results of the, this today's testing are... I mean, it's, it's an impossible situation. It's a contact sport where everybody mixes and matches, whatever. You can say that it's a bubble, of course, but the boys are allowed to live. So when they go home, they can't have private planes and choppers, you know, taking them from Paris back to Toulon. They're still normal people. They jump on a taxi, jump on a plane. On the plane, they go home. Once they're home, you've got kids to go to school. You've got your wife who went to the supermarket. You've got whatever. They're just normal people. And then when you come back, there's a stress. <sighs> And on top of that, uh, none of them, if I'm not mistaken, apart from Antoine Dupont, who started maybe to have a few symptoms, none of them are showing any symptoms. No. But listen, I'm just going to cross all the fingers that I've got. And I hope that it, it, sport is there to put a smile on everybody's faces. France are doing so well that they're putting a smile on the whole country at the moment. Uh, and it's really important. And just as a side note, I would have loved to see how Johnny's allegiance would have changed if only the <laughs> Scotland didn't shit the bed against Wales and actually were serious contenders oh. to, to a Grand Slam or to the win. Because it's easy to say now, no, the important is sports, you know, the important is sports. <laughs> All I care is about having a good game. <laughs> Whatever, mate. If you guys won last week, I think he would have been dying to, he would have been wearing his, his probably his Scottish cap at the moment and be like, no, no, my heart is a Scot and I want to win it back. But that's it, mate. I thought from the beginning, I thought it would come down to this weekend and I hate to see it go the way it's going in the manner it's going to be won or lost but I just hope it goes ahead I hope there's a game I hope I don't know it might even be better if they postpone it a week and get a full French team out as opposed to playing it with a, with a B, C side because then it's a hollow victory if you do win So we already knew that five players as well as some of the coaching staff had tested positive including Antoine Dupont On Monday we heard that five additional players had tested positive five Inexperienced players, mainly apart from Thomas Ramos, has been called up to replace them. What shape are France going to be in if it does go ahead this weekend, Benji? It's, it's a matter of, are they going to be able to train? Are they going to be able to have a, a relaxed mental state? I mean, I'll give you an example. Pissanti got called back from Port, right? The, the lock that nobody knew about and him and Gerasi absolutely killed it in the Autumn Nations Cup, right? That big, broad shoulder guy who chops people in half. Fantastic. Except uh, Paul played against Toulon on the weekend. Swan Rebage is the one who traveled with Gabin Villiers and got allowed to play for Toulon. So the, the statistics are incredibly pessimistic, <laughs> let's face it. But let's, so it's a matter of, I just hope sport is played this weekend, any shape or form. If it's not Antoine Dupont, probably like, or not, not even arguably, like the best player in the world at the moment, okay, Baptiste Serin is, is a killer and he's just waiting with, you know, his, his feet, so his feet, his teeth, sort of grinding the ground. He's, he's, he, we can't wait to see him. He's a different style of number nine, but bloody hell, can he, can he be a good distributor and gets along really well with Mathieu Jalibert? Um, so, so that can be super exciting. Thomas Ramos is super experienced. Again, I said Pesanti can chop people in half. 
Barlow, it's funny. So, so they called up a new hooker uh, from Cast, who's been really, really impressive. And only I think he's only come in top 14 two, two seasons ago. He's from Colomiers. Really impressive uh, hooker who's doing really well. So at the same time, it shows it's a bit like that alternation cup moment. You're like, oh yeah, shit, we can't see uh, Dupont and Entamac, and I'm gutted. But at the same time, we were so thrilled to see Gabin Villiers, who's now considered almost a French winger, to see Gerasi, to see Pesanti, to discover Anthony Gelon. If Fabien Galtier is in there, he's going to be on Zoom every, every single day, and you still have Raphael Ibanez, Sean Edwards. That's not too bad, right? They'll, they'll be all right for a week. If you don't have Antoine Dupont, you have Baptiste Serin. If you don't have Charles Olivon, then fantastic. You'll have another captain, most probably Baptiste Serin, actually. Uh, and who's going to, and then and, and you'll see even more game time for maybe Cameron Voki. Remember, we spoke about him yeah. last week. He can be crazy good. So it might be the right time to put him to have Gelonche and maybe Aldrito. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Julien Marchand, who I think for me is one of my favorites in the French team at the moment, the, the Toulouse captain and hooker, who's so reliable, doing super well. But then you can see another type of player. And don't forget, Camille will come back at some point. But there's Bourgarit from La Rochelle, who's very powerful and very explosive. And Barlow. Who's, who's behind him, and Teddy Bobini, the young hooker from racing. All, all these, you know, it's like the glass half half full, half empty, whatever. So I don't think there'll be any excuses. I think there might be, like we sort of hinted at it before the show, Johnny, a conversation about almost Fabian Galtier maybe calling Gregor Townsend and be like, listen, would it be all right to push it one day? But I just want rugby to be played. And I just want France to, to have an opportunity to showcase what they've got. And it won't be an excuse to have those rotations within the squad, basically. And I was going to ask that question about the captaincy. So do you agree, Johnny, if, uh, well, we know Charles Olivon is not going to be there if the game is played this weekend. Will it be Baptiste Serran replacing him as captain? Yeah, I would say so. But I think also you look at the different points Benji made. The point about going back to the Poe-Toulon game is you firstly, you hope it doesn't spread like wildfire. So obviously when a contact sport, every time there's a scrum, every time there's a line out of mall, there's a risk of it flying. And that's the thing. Now that we've got those cases in the French camp, obviously France is a massive country, people flying all over the country with different clubs. You hope now it doesn't put the buffers on the top 14 as well. But look, Baptiste Serran's a guy, he's unfortunate and he plays behind probably the best player in the world, but he is awesome. Every single week in the top 14, Toulon, he's been incredible all year. You look to the other sides, he'd be starting pretty much for every other team. But unfortunately, he's got a little Hulk in front of him and Antoine Dupont, he doesn't get to play. So look, it'd be great for him to get some game time. Obviously, if anything happens to Antoine ahead of big tournaments, you need to develop your base. He is absolutely a leader and does a great job for Toulon week in, week, week out. So yes, he's the guy to step in. And then you look at Demba Bamba, Guys coming in, you hope second rows aren't touched too much, but you've got depth. Like France are lucky and they're one of the countries. If this was Ireland or Scotland, it'd be game over straight away. But France actually can call on a real pool of talent now that we're seeing in the top 14 week in, week out, and they can bring in people. It's not an issue. So Benji's absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head. It now comes down to a conversation between the two federations. How does this game go ahead? What time? I think if Scotland were to say forcibly, no, we want a 28-0 victory, it's incredibly hollow and it's not really in the spirit of rugby. So I, I totally agree with you, but we're not the decision makers. So it's, it's, it's a bit easier for us. In the interest of credibility and having yeah, an authentic yeah. tournament, that's what people want to see. Um, yeah, but then would they, can they justify the fact that Z Z uh, Fagerson got four weeks or five weeks uh, banned? You know, there's always decisions that are above your heads yeah. that, that, uh, that hit you or don't hit you, you know? Again, look, they're appealing that decision that was, that was sent in. The appeal was went in yesterday. But look, I think we all just hope the game goes ahead. For the credibility of the tournament, if somebody's going to win a tournament after taking a 28-0 victory like that, it doesn't really leave a great taste in the mouth for everyone else, I don't think. Well, we await communication from the tournament organisers because, as we say, we, we think that they want the game to go ahead regardless, even if it takes a bit of a postponement. And we are in completely unprecedented times. We know that with all of these cases, all of the breaking updates. Have either of you two ever had a situation where your preparation for a game has been completely disrupted like this? So as in clearly not a, a pandemic, but like illness has struck the camp and, and you know you haven't been able to train or your coach has maybe had to go away and he's had to call in via, via Zoom. And as we said, Sean Edwards as Lauren Labita have been there, but Galtier, Servat, Gezal have all been isolating. So have you, have you ever had anything similar to this at all? Oh, nothing comparable to a pandemic or to any illness, but I've got a few experiences that actually turned out to be positive. I think rugby players were, we've got big hearts, 
but we sometimes we can be a bit, we, we don't have ginormous brains so we want to we want to <laughs> use a bit of anger uh, on the situation that's a very french thing to take any anything that will happen during the during the week or during the couple of weeks and use it as a fuel to basically energize yourself and get yourself pumped for the weekend. So it can be a declaration in the press. It can be somebody clapping you after a game, you know, and you'll zoom in on that one and be like, right, we got to hit that one, whatever. And for us, it was Saracens away when they, we got snowed in. And so imagine we get there a Friday to play a Saturday at one. So the Friday night, everybody's getting ready. And then we get uh, Saturday morning, pre-match meal. We're about to jump on the bus to go. So, you know, you sort of need to get your head around the thing. And they're like, right. The game is cancelled. And at the moment, they, at, that, at that moment, they say cancelled. And we ended up having a, a, a snowball fight basically all Saturday afternoon, smashing the shit out of the management staff. And it was great fun. And then Sunday morning, we, we were meant to play, I think, at one o'clock or something. Sunday morning, they said, right, the game is not happening at, at one o'clock. So again, another, you know, uh, hit, miss, hit and miss start, whatever. We didn't know where we were going. And in the end, we ended up playing at three or four o'clock or whatever. And we smoked them. We put 40 points on Saracens. And that was a huge, huge building block. Poor Saracens boys did have <laughs> obviously nothing to it wasn't their fault about the, the snow, but all day we were like, look, and these guys, they're in their house and they're not respecting us. Because <laughs> apparently the sponsors of Saracens knew that the game was postponed before we did. And I know that for a fact, <laughs> because because I've got a mate who was a sponsor there and they knew that the game was was called off before us. So there was a little bit of that. Then the same is the is that that crazy weekend, Stade Francais Ulster, 2008, I think it was, or 2009. That same week, I don't know if you remember, where Julian Dupuis gets caught for eye gouging a year, uh, and okay. David Atoube. So that week, we had two boys, one suspended for 18 months, one for a year for eye gouging. And then we got snowed in in Brussels because we, we tried to play the game, the, the return game, because we played Ulster and Ulster the week before. And it was them coming back to us. So we were pumped, you know, to, to get them. Because again, it was two of our players who eye gouged Stephen Ferris. But we thought it was their fault and we wanted to kill them for it. You know, that's, that's what I mean about using any excuse, use any excuse to basically get yourself psyched and, and get yourself pumped and stuff. And, and we ended up going back to Paris, uh, unsnowing our own pitch and then playing there and just beating Ulster. So long story short, I think this week, if the game goes along, whatever the excuses, they will use, the, look, Galtier will be like, look, I'm on Zoom because they put me away in this box. <laughs> well, he's the one who's positive, right? It's nobody else's fault. Uh, and all the Scots, they didn't want to move the game. They probably will never ask the question, you know, but they'll, they'll, they'll milk it to, to, to make it a good motivation, basically. That's it. I don't, I don't think it's a, this isn't a good thing for Scotland in many ways. Like having been in French changing rooms, the amount of coaches that take opposition press quotes, stick them up on walls, use it as ammunition. And you can just see as well, Fabian and the coaching team using this, fueling people with psychological messages of how it's Scotland's fault that this has happened <laughs> and turn it back against them. It absolutely will happen. But look, there's always kind of things, but it always ends up being the opposition's fault because wherever you go, wherever you're received, it's always away games. It's always their fault. So if you're traveling, I remember traveling with Glasgow to Toulouse and it ended up being something like, it should have been a six hour journey with easy jet but there was a problem with a plane in france so obviously it was france's fault and it took us 72 hours to get there it took us something ridiculous like we had to go via three different countries but it was obviously you know the airport in toulouse done this intentionally and and that was what that was our motivation for the game <laughs> or we went away to play dublin we again we're in D dublin and it it snowed uh oh, like they must have done this intentionally same kind of thing called the game off wasting our time when we come back we're going to smash them it's the same for every team it's always the opposition's fault I thought when you said, Benji, when you were talking about the Saracen sponsors, you're going to say this, they had a snow machine and they didn't intentionally just <laughs> snow them. <No>, no. <laughs> but that's it. It's always the opposition fault. So again, you feed into the story and the psychology of what's going to happen, even if it is the equivalent of the team that played against England in the Autumn Nations Cup. This French team is organized and they're dangerous and they will want to do something. They'll want to win this tournament. So I don't think it helps the Scottish side whatsoever coming to Paris. Um, even if it's a half team, a B team, it will still be a hell of a game. And obviously you mentioned, Benji, that as far as we know, there aren't any any players with any symptoms so far. Antoine Dupont, perhaps with a few. Most important thing to say is we hope they're all okay. And we hope they all get better. The way this France side play under Galtier, under Edwards... It's not going to change, is it? They, they will fit players in and the style of play will be the same. So let's assume the game does go ahead. How's it going to pan out? And um, how does Scotland win this game? And presumably France just, just want more of the same, but just with different personnel. Precisely. But I mean, listen, um, 
just again, throwback. We had the, the best example, what, three or four months ago for the Italy game, Auto Nations Cup. They didn't have to rotate seven players. They had to rotate 21 players or something. Yeah. Only two of them were allowed. And that was for the Italy game. And then remember, Surin had to pull out again for the England game because he had done his three match sheets. So we really pushed it to the full extent of what it is to rotate in your team. And they only had, remember, Fabio, we were speaking about that at the time, Fabio Gelti said, we only had three times 17 minutes of training or whatever he said. He like properly like, you know, watch clocked them just to say how little preparation they had together. And then the Italy game was a little bit disappointing in terms of content. But the England game, you recognize the French style straight away. Aggressive defense, uh, animation around the fringes, uh, positive attitude when in terms of taking risks, still having a crack and having a go at opposition. Remember Jalibert uh, doing that beautiful dummy and then throwing the pass for, I think, Moefana scored or something yeah. like that. So still some beautiful, beautiful stuff. Brice Dulin really shining and counter-attacking and Gabin Villiers having a crack. And we're not going to be to the extent of rotation. So where I totally agree with you, I think we're going to be this, well, well, I can't remember what you said, that expression, but it's a good one, of the same but more or whatever you said. That's what it's going to be. Listen, if, if you think that you're still going to have the two massive locks, you're still going to have Jelonge, probably uh, Dylan Cretin, uh, and then maybe Voki, who's played already a few games. But most importantly, you have Serin Jalibert. Let's touch wood. Please don't drop them, because otherwise that would be problematic, obviously. But if they stay in there, you have a guarantee of having those those solid players. Brice Dulin has been absolutely extraordinary and I love him to bits. But at the same time, Thomas Ramos was a starter only a couple of months ago and he's back in the squad. So they might actually put him there. He'll have the kicking game. He'll have everything. Gary Fiku in the middle, who's always your, your key go-to man, vice captain, who was not playing against England, the Auto Nations Cup. So you still have those guys, those pods of leadership and importance within that team, which will completely allow you, like you said, to have the same thing, but but but... Well, to have a sort of a continuity, but with different players. Were we doing this podcast last Six Nations or not? No. 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 We started in September. So in that Six Nations, I had to like do a conference call with Gregor Townsend and the coaching team about Galtier's methods and how do you exploit them. But since then, the team's evolved in different ways and shapes and forms, but we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, Let's not gloss over this, Johnny. So you were responsible for Scotland beating I'm a France spy, in the last Six Nations. <laughs> I'm a spy. Yeah, absolutely. We did a little conference call and picked out a few ways to try and defeat France. Always knew you were a dick. <laughs> I'm, a dub, I'm a double agent mate i'm playing both sides um but look there was like it was interesting to go in and say look how do you what are the the les points faibles what are the little points of fable weaknesses weaknesses, weaknesses. Oh, so french in this french side and so back then it was target the tight head it was Momo Huas, so it was in terms of discipline and also he goes forward and drops a lot of target at scrum time. You really were responsible for this win, weren't you? Well, <laughs> it came to fruition. It was amazing. It, they also blitzed more in their defense. It was how you, you varied your kicking game and how you manipulated your points of attack. You take away the middle of the field, cross heel kicks because they blitzed up, so they leave like 40 meters in behind, but they don't do that now. The two ways that I would target France, they've both been completely removed. So if you're a Scotland side and you're doing your analysis, you now can't. The first one for me would have been in Ireland, tried to do it. You could see Paul O'Connell had done his homework. It was stick a pod next to Charles Olivon, but the lifting and the quality throwing was so good, they still couldn't get near him. So if I was Scotland, I would have targeted Olivon and taken away that line-out point, that source. They now can't do it. They don't have a line-out to organize or to analyze. Can I, can I ask you a question on that, Johnny? Yeah. Scotland have been a graveyard for French hookers for the last decade. And I don't know what it is. No, poor fellow. Oh, <laughs> bloody hell. I actually My felt for him in Murrayfield. Three yeah. or four uh, for his first cap, three or four uh, throws that were not straight, including one where you just give it quick to the front pod. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. Poor thing. He had a shocker. But why is that? Is that sort of in Scottish nature to emphasize on line-out defense in general? Or is it Usually. particularly against France to take it from the source? Because I remember Scott Mary in the good old days. Then we had big Jim Hamilton. Gilchrist, and then then you have obviously Richie Gray and now Johnny yeah, Gray. Johnny. You guys have always, always put us under so much pressure. And I remember doing the, the Scotland-France games or France-Scotland games, whatever. Yannick Bru in particular would make so much emphasis on the, the Scottish line-out defence because you guys put us in the shits, really. It's a huge part of our game. Um, and it comes back to the point that when you play against France, you know you're playing against bigger, faster and more talented rugby players. So how can you influence the game and take pressure on them and steal ball? It's how can you get them away from the ball before they get started? It's a massive part of the game. And so that was it. Like traditionally, France have a mirror defense quite a lot in their lineout. So it's, it's almost 50-50. Sometimes they get there, sometimes they don't. Whereas with us, it's almost 
let's almost take two blocks of defense, leave them the front so they can take cheap ball at the five meter line and just force them at the front to try and slow everything down that comes out the back. It, it's been it's been there for years, but then look, we have to do it. We, we know that we're trying to beat and punch a team in the guts that's much bigger, stronger, quicker, more agile than us. It's just traditional. So we have to find ways of outthinking opposition. And that's where traditionally Scottish coaches have, have tried to work. Um, Gregor does a good job now with attack and how he leads things in different ways, but line has been a huge part. So going back to it, it was, look, Olive on the man to target. He's the one man that's taken 70, 80% of your lineup. Oh, he still managed to do it against Ireland. I was like, there's no way he can do that against Scotland. I'm sorry. Um, that'd be the one area to target. It was Huas. But I still think if you're going to get anything away from home in France and Paris, you have to put them under pressure at scrum time. So tight head is one of the areas that I would say that France are weaker. Um, Huas gives away quite a few penalties, dropped his knees, gets long-legged, gives away a lot of penalties. He's now gone, but Bamba's the same. Um, a guy that's really strong, but finds himself in some strange positions technically. He's still growing, still developing, still young for a tight head, but he's another guy I would target. Line at time, I would target as well. And that was it. It was just simply those two things. The blitz defense is gone, but you, you have to you have to shift it. You have to change your game plan against France because look, you, you hit the nail on the head. We said you may lose lose Arthur Vincent, but you still got Gail Fiku. You still got um, Moifana if he comes in, or you've got Dante, who we've been saying should be in the team for the past three months. The power and the pace that you come up against in France is another level. Um, it's amongst the best in the world. So you have to be smart in how you defend and how you attack them. So look, I still think whoever France stick on the pitch, they're going to be organised. We've seen now. It's kind of irrelevant. You saw that that defensive performance against England in the Autumn Nations Cup, they're capable of doing that, even with 21 changes, like you said. So if there's five or six or seven changes, I don't think it's going to have too much influence. You've got Baptiste Serrand coming into the team. If he starts, you're not losing that much. I mean, you're losing Anton Dupont, who gets you out of jail and creates pieces of magic every week, but you've still got a top, top-class scrum half coming in. Decision makers, which still should be there, and then people that function in their positions every week for top fourteen sites. So, funnily enough, I reckon Gregor Townsend will be very will be fuming because knowing how intense he is, he probably spent the last six months so of doing videos on Antoine Dupont. Yeah, <laughs> he probably has spent like he burned his both his eyeballs basically watching him trying to create a system to to catch him from the start, and now it's somebody different. So I'm sure they will apply the same pressure to to Seurin, but they are different different players. Every time we prepared, you have there's certain key guys. Obviously, every team does it, but in Scotland, it was you had the defensive preview was heads on a plate. Who are we targeting? Who are we going to try and take out of the game? Who do we have to nullify in the gate so they can't go for? And Antoine is 100% that guy. But yeah. you talk about Aldrit will be a guy that they'll say, look, every time that guy gets the ball in backfield, smash him. Three men on him, try and blitz everything and then fan out because, you know, France, every time there's a counterattack, Aldrit takes the middle of the field, opens up the field, and there's two sided attacks. So it's, get to that, smash that rock, try and pinch the ball if you can, if not just obliterate them and make it hard for them. So there's all these different little strategies that will come into play. But look, irrespective for me, the line-out's now been taken away because Olivon's no longer there. So you can change strategy. It makes it harder for Scotland. Scrum time, you've analysed people to death. You know exactly what they've had two weeks to analyse Hoas. He's now gone, makes it harder. So look, in some respects, it doesn't get any easier for Scotland. Oh, look, I just hope it goes ahead. That's my underlying feelings. You, you want to get people on the pitch. You want this French side to get some, some blokes in who will all be chomping at the bit to be part of a grand yeah. slam. That's all what they want to do is knock the Scottish side over and get to Twickenham in, in two weeks' time. We mentioned newspaper articles being nailed to the dressing room wall. This might not quite make it to the dressing room wall, but it's definitely making it into mid-year LMP because somewhere in France, Johnny Beatty responsible for Scotland's win last year <laughs> in the Six Nations. No, you it's it's out there. You're, you're dead <laughs> meat, Johnny. I'm telling Get you. me off this pod. I'm dead. And uh, speaking of your insight, Johnny, and your um, advice to Gregor, maybe we can get another Scottish voice on the podcast now who also might have been giving Gregor a, a bit of a hand, maybe on the discipline side of things. We've got history-making Scottish referee Mike Adamson joins us. How are you? Yeah, all good. All good, thanks, Tim. How are you going on? We are well, we are well. We mentioned history-making. You were um, the first Scottish referee in the Six Nations for 19 years, I think, the other week. So just talk us through what it was like making your, your Six Nations debut at Twickenham. Yeah, it was great. And as you said, it, was, it has been a long time since there's been a Scottish ref uh, in the Six Nations. Um, but we're, we've been working hard over the last few years and I guess the first one at Twickenham was probably a bit different where you get a taxi to the, the stadium on your own you're in your tracksuit you you go through all the, the safety checks and the temperature checks and then you're in the changing room with your mask on you do the game then you're back in the taxi back to the hotel back to your room because you're not even allowed to have a pint in the bar afterwards but uh, yeah but look to to get the first one first one at Twickenham was, was great proud moment 
great moment for the family as well. Unfortunately, they couldn't be be down to to share it, but uh, they were. To be honest, they were probably more nervous than I was. I know my girlfriend back home was. She was up about eight o'clock cleaning the flat, and then she was wondering about midday if it was too early to get the prosecco open. But um, <laughs> probably similar to my mum as well. But uh, yeah, no, it was great, great day for me and the family as well. Mike, is there a really a reason it's taken so long to get a Scottish ref to that level? We we probably changed what we were doing in Scotland maybe about six seven years ago, and that uh, and that's probably the time frame it takes to to develop international referees to, to tier one level. But then we we also had to change what because you get referee managers from out with the country, so it's not just what we're doing inside Scotland. It has to do with European competition and world rugby competition, and, and the kind of decision makers up there kind of change quite a lot. So the landscape changed quite a lot, and what what they kind of what they're looking for in referees. So I think it was just around us understanding what those guys were looking for and then us kind of trying to deliver. I think there's a, there's a massive landscape change in, in terms of French refereeing, to be honest, because if I'm not mistaken, 2019, France was the most represented uh, That's sort five, of referees. Right? Yeah, pr- pretty sure. And now Joel Juge is obviously the, sort of the boss at, at World Rugby Refereeing. So there's a big influence. All right, my take on French refereeing is that it's pretty average, not because of the, the refs, but because of the, the pressure that there is on top 14, because of the lack of support of uh, touch judges and because of the difference between those top refs and the others. That's that's my take. So my first question is, what's what's your take on French referees? And also, what's your take on French discipline? Because, listen, I've always been the the, the, the guy who, you know, the go-to chat in, in terms of the English saying, why you you French are going to drop? One of you is going to do something stupid. And I'm like, no, 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 we've changed <laughs> stuff. And then in March, Mohamed Amas drops the draw of, uh, <laughs> you know, Jamie Ritchie. I'm like, bloody hell, we've done it again. Be honest, Mikey. <laughs> honest answer. <laughs> yeah, look, French refs are great. Um they, they've been at the, the top of world rugby, um, probably the French and the English, and those guys have had the the most representation at um, at the top level at the World Cups um, for the last last few years. Um, yeah, Jerome Garcia is refereeing the final. You've got uh, Pascal, you've got Romain, you've got Mathieu, you've got Alex Ruiz, all all great refs. And even before I started refereeing, when I watched um, the French referees, I, I just loved the way that they would referee a game. It was it wasn't technical. It was get what mattered, allow the flow of the game. To be honest, when probably when I was growing up watching watching the French referees, you never knew what you were going to get. To be honest, but that probably added to the excitement of the games that that it would that you'd probably get the, the unpredictable happening. So yeah, like they're they're really good. I'm working with Mathieu uh, this weekend. I had Romain in, in the box uh, with me in there. The, just their knowledge and understanding of the game is really good. And and to be honest, like your next question with. French discipline. I think probably gone are the days. You can probably pick out instances, but looking at looking at this Six Nations so far, and with our preparation as referees going into games, there's a definite shift with um, the French discipline. I know as Jerome Gar says has has been in in with the French squad and working with them and working on their discipline. And and like personally, I've seen a massive massive change in their uh, their discipline pretty much all around the park. And, and you can probably look at scrums as well and there's a lot more positivity around the French scrum as well that, that I've seen a lot more stability a lot more scrum staying up um, in games that France have been playing and a lot, and a lot more ball out which, which is great to see and you mentioned Jerome Garces working with France Mike have you have you done a similar thing with Gregor in Scotland have you helped with their their discipline yeah I've, I've been in I've been in um, pre-six nations before the England game I was in there's always a few kind of tweaks that come into to refereeing and refereeing competitions um and it's just making sure that the coaches get a refereeing side of things and like i'm involved in the world rugby meeting so it's they'll get the information from joel jude and then they'll get the message from me as well but just more on a practical level so i'll be on the pitch and talking the players through what the referees are actually looking for and, you, and you've probably seen so far in the in the six nations um especially with line out mall time that they're big emphasis on trying to keep the backs 10 metres back at, at line out mall. Um, the refs are probably keeping their arm up in the air longer than they would have in the past, J- just being a bit stricter on that on that law of the game when the line out is actually over. Uh, and also probably in front of the kicks as well, that, which, that, that, look, at the end of the day, we're trying to create more space on the pitch for, for the players to play in. And I think there was a time where there's just cutting down the space and it's probably encouraging the kicking game because there's not enough space a space to run into so if we manage to create more space then hopefully we can encourage uh, guys to guys to run the board a bit more 
So we've already heard that Johnny was responsible for Scotland's win over France in the last year's Six Nations, and you were responsible for the Calcutta Cup win. So there we go. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Thanks. <laughs> Mikey, going back to your first game, obviously we, we talked about it in the debrief of the, the last round Six Nations game, Johnny May's try, which caused a bit of controversy with his dive slash jump. Looking back now, like I saw Nigel Owens also had his Tuppensworth on Twitter. Looking back now, do you still stand by your decision or do you reckon it was a jump as opposed to a dive? I think when you're looking at these decisions, this one's probably more an unusual one because it's probably you, you don't see it very often. But like we we talk about in the middle of the pitch, if if players are carrying the ball and and they jump into tackle, they, they say no, that's you can't do that because it's dangerous. And I think when you're looking at these sorts of decisions, you, you try and figure out is it dangerous or is it unfair. What I saw on the pitch that day was I thought he was diving for the try line. For me, a jump is when you jump and try and land on your feet and a dive is when you go off your feet and try and land in your front or, or land in your hands. So the guy, I, I ruled it that way uh, on the day. He was in the act of scoring. He, he left his feet and he, and he landed on his, on his front and his hands. So that's why I ruled it on the day. Benji agrees with you, but I'm like, there's no way. Like, if you jump like that, that high, you're avoiding a tackle. Whereas Benji was like, no, I jumped. Just because you can't jump that high, man. Yeah, Benji, <laughs> you, know, like, you have to be bitter high. about it. That's how I jumped for all my tries. That's what Benji was saying last week. But look, I was going to say as well, like now having the world where we have Twitter and it can be like a horrible place, there's no place to hide. Is it quite weird having your performance as a ref judged like that in the public domain? I don't look at it. I don't look at Twitter too much, to be honest. I am on it um, more for information. But um, look, yeah, I think I think that is the nature of, of what we're in just now. Um, there will always be people that, want to have their say on things which is fine they can get a bit nasty at, at times as well and I think people say only listen to to criticism from people that you go to for advice so if people are coming coming for criticism then like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay too much of attention unless it, the critics the criticism was coming from somebody that that I'd want to listen to from your missus yeah <laughs> <laughs> just just one other thing that sort of made a few headlines after after that game that we're talking about England against Italy was um Owen Farrell's interaction with you obviously you don't have to comment on that that specifically but I know Nigel Owens was sort of quite critical of, of Owen Farrell just generally though like you've said before I think that um referees hated you when you were a player so <laughs> are you quite up for that kind of interaction between referees and players and, and how do you handle that and do you think do you think it's it's getting worse in terms of a bit of back chat or are you sort of happy to interact with players? I think it's becoming a bit more noticeable just now because there's no crowds to kind of dull over the dull over the microphones. I think everything that's said on the pitch, everybody can hear. Uh, whereas maybe last season, it would be the same amount of interaction or the same amount of chatting going on, but just people aren't as, as aware of it. Yeah, I, th- I think you just said, like I've, I've chatted to refs uh, in Scotland uh, before and like I was, I was a bit of a, a lippy 10 um get get on the air so like I, I i know where players are coming from and and where their frustrations are but the, there should always be that that boundary of of the line and, and i've said before that player, players will react out of frustration but it'll be a reaction but as long as that reaction doesn't manifest throughout the game or um into like a more of a nasty a nasty tone to the, the conversation then that, that's probably more that where we need to deal with it. But but there'll be a decision that gets made, and there'll be a reaction or an outburst that that you go that you understand where their frustration is coming from. But then there'll be the the reaction or the the follow up conversations that that aren't warranted, and, and they're probably more the ones that, that I would look to kind of clamp down a bit harder on. And is there anything we can do to, because you mentioned it is sort of increasing in the game and I suppose it's inevitable. We see it in football and rugby is increasing in professionalism. Do we need to kind of do anything differently or do we need to just enforce the the current laws? And if there is any of that, back 10 yards? Yeah, I think we do have the laws in place just now just to just to be able to deal with it. And there'll be there'll be games that you'll see refs just marching 10 metres or or reversing the penalty. Um, you, you'll get the times where a team won a penalty and there'll be, rubbing people's heads or pushing people off off it and which which frustrates me sometimes and like if I see it happening and it and it causes a big a big kind of stromash then I would I would look to overturn that decision and go look you had the penalty but you've caused this you've caused this ruckus so so would you like to see Mikey we've talked about this as well would you like to see another directive of almost an unsportsmanlike conduct so if you can see like head ruffling or shoving people's head into the dirt or basically just being a nose that you could overturn something or penalise straight away. Would you like to see that come as a directive? Yeah, we already have that. It, it will come in <clears throat> at certain times in the season. I think I think we go hard at it and then it dies out and then it'll 
start creeping back and probably like a lot of things that that we look at in the game where there'll be a strong directive and we'll go pretty hard at it just to try and clamp it down and it, it'll probably probably comes in little by little but but there will be a point where I guess it's enough is enough and we need to take a stronger stance on it. I was going to ask you as well, Mikey, like being a former player and knowing what it takes at ruck time and the collisions that we go through, what are your views on the red cards that we're seeing at the minute? We're seeing a lot, like we saw in the Premiership loads again this weekend, uh, top 14 there was one, and obviously the last two Welsh games have been hugely influenced by head knocks and head collisions. Like we understand, we all understand that the directive and is there to help people, to protect people's heads, to protect long-term um, against concussion, but we're seeing huge amounts of red cards. Do you think that it's gone to the stage that these red cards are automatic and therefore they're changing games and they're ruining, but you know you've gone into rocks a million times yourself. These things happen a million miles an hour. Are the players not getting the message or is it something that's simply too hard to control at rock time for players and we're just going to keep seeing red cards? I think you said that the reason that we are seeing probably more red cards is it, it is all around safety. And I think we've seen a lot, lot of stuff in the, in the media and press recently around the safety and especially around the head area. And as referees, we're trying to make it as a safe environment as possible for players. And especially at ruck time, there, there is a lot of moving parts at the ruck. Players have to probably more control their entry into ruck. And I think the ones that we see are, are guys that are running from distance and running from speed from distance rather than the ones at, at close range. So I think players need to be a bit more controlled when they enter the ruck because there's a lot of moving parts, but just making sure when they enter the rucks, they are doing it legally and they are trying to grasp around and not have their arms in, in kind of positions that are unnatural for a, a clearing out. Just on that, if I can add something, this in the summer, so Joel Juge, we had a chat with French TV, whatever, he's explaining all those new rules and stuff. Just as he was saying that basically they're going to be harder on the guys in the rocks, you need to release the ball and I, and I told him, listen, you, you change this rule. So that means everybody's going to attack the ball. So yeah, because we want to give a chance to the jacklers to actually get rewarded to prevent from having five minutes of stupid, no, uh, dull pick and goes, you know, and the ball being uncontrollable, which I understand that that was a good idea. But then do you understand Fagerson's job as a tight head prop is to smash people <laughs> in the scrum and to smash people in rugs. So when you're telling him before a game, on top of no your normal uh, sort of jobs, you have to smash even harder, even more, because even more people are going to go and, and, and contest for the ball. It's a bit harsh to then, because it's an accident, right? He didn't target his head. Everybody knows it's because the other guy was lifting back up and then he ended up can't get in the head. Is it not a matter of saying, listen, there's a bit of mitigating uh, factor on that one, just on that one, because the guy, because of this change of role, was of rule was told there's going to be even more guys competing for the ball. The guy was told your job is to make sure we keep that ball. So he flies into that rock because that's the only way of getting those boys out. There's no other way. There's that or the crocodile. Right. And then poor Willis is basically out and then he's going to be out for a year or something. So I'm just thinking, is there not a matter of saying maybe it wasn't the best idea in the summer to go back into letting all those jacklers going for the ball? We've got the three three S's just now. We've got safety, we've got space, and we've also got speed of ball. So we're trying to speed the game up and clear that tackle area up. If jacklers get on the ball, I think I think what we we wanted was a, a clear a clear turnover. I think what we didn't want to do was guys clamping on the ball and, and really pulling it. And only when after they got battered by a couple of players trying to clean them out would we then reward that player. So we, we're trying to re reward that player a bit quicker, therefore stopping these guys coming in late. I guess if guys are coming in late, it's just it's just making sure that they're they're more controlled with their with their actions and making sure that they're getting them into good body position, but just making sure that there is a clear attempt to wrap and, and wrap around somebody rather than having their rather than just kind of leading leading in with the shoulder and, and shoulder charging. And Benji mentioned refereeing in France, Mike. Um You've done it, haven't you? You've refereed in, in Pro de Deux. So do you, do you want to give us an insight into what that was like? Uh, how the change rooms, how you treated over there? And also, how is your French? Because that is, on a serious note, that is a topic now. Referees should be able to communicate in the Six Nations or, or in Europe. They should be able to communicate with French sides, shouldn't they? Yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had good times in France um, when I was developing up. Um, refereed in Federal Inn, um, refereed in the Pro de Deux, I've done quite a few of the Champions Cup games and I love being over in France um, not just on the pitch but off the pitch the the food um, just good opportunities to kind of go out and see see different places that we, you wouldn't visit in the past French yep I'm I am doing French lessons just now um, so we are we are putting putting work in in that area Is that something that happens from for, for in refs now in Britain Mikey are a lot of you been asked to take French courses We've not been asked we're just doing it of we want to like we, we know it is important so it is something I'm I'm working on. It's very different from 
doing it in on on a Zoom call to, to transferring on the pitch. And I think under the pressure, trying trying to communicate something in in French or, tr or translating in your head when there's a lot of stuff going on in front of you, it, it is tough. And it would just take it would just take more practice, more confidence. Because I think the last thing you want to do is communicate incorrectly in French, and then the French and then the French players do do something that you've you've asked them. To do or not to do so the number the number of refs i could have judas honestly before game they're like how do you say how do you say hands off <laughs> oh, hands man. I, I'm, i've been too honest and too kind because i could have killed a few reputations i'm telling you well i was going to say mike you mentioned that you're, you're doing lessons possibly over zoom at the moment i i reckon we could help so um benji some key phrases for mike in in french whether they're swear words whether they're rugby phrases come on give him some help yeah, but there's, well there's there's ways uh, also of applying the, the rule and eh? you know if, you, if you're like please take your hands off or get the fuck out of there it's it's more there's more impact you know so there's, there's, you know, if, if you want those those ways of getting guys out of the rucks just text me mate i'll be yeah, happy i'll get, to I'll get to in you. touch and use some of those phrases next time out in france <laughs> give us one or two key words benji that if mike hears them he should definitely be marching players back 10 ah okay well um well the same incident you know the um, what's his name again the sinclair sinclair incident you know when you know so the difference of get fucked and fuck off or whatever <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> basically, whenever you hear enculé, is 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 never good, right? So, enculé, enculé is get fucked. Enculé means for fuck's sake, so like, oh, you bastard. Whenever you hear the word enculé, just I've always wondered what that meant. I didn't. I didn't no know good. The, I don't know. No good. Oh, do you hear it a lot, Mikey? That's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's 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 not a good sign. There we go. Well, thanks ever so much for coming on and giving us your insight, Mike. And um, hopefully, we've been a bit helpful as well. <laughs> yeah. thanks very much and thanks for having me cheers Mikey cheers guys thank you all the best there was something that you just you made us leave out you made us cut out of the actual episode Johnny but um, Mikey was saying back in the day you were, you were former teammates we didn't bring this up but he says he was always trying to get you out get you out for a beer and you weren't allowed no not not just that I was boring <laughs> it wasn't I wasn't allowed um, no my missus in fact it's almost the opposite in that he asked who was the ref in the BT household in the good old days <laughs> no <laughs> you misinterpreted this has been a big oh, misunderstanding okay. <laughs> so what I, again so it was Tuesday Wednesday nights which were kind of student nights and Mikey was kind of at Glasgow Uni but also we had like an apprentice scheme at Glasgow so you'd be out drinking midweek but I was trying to be serious and trying to be good so I wouldn't be out midweek drinking but basically he'd end up <laughs> phoning me i'd be in the flat with my missus i'd be like mate i can't come out i'm sorry and then he'd text my missus and be like jen can johnny come out and she'd be like no nah, i don't think so and he'd be like well do you want to come out and end up she'd end up <laughs> out with all my mates <laughs> on a tuesday on the student nights drinking so no look, mikey's a great guy and what did you make just briefly on the the points that he was making around the the recent incidents uh, that johnny may try he still hasn't convinced you on that one johnny but um some of the stuff at the breakdown it, it made a lot of sense didn't it yeah, but then it just shows as well how ref-to-ref -ref interpretations are different. So he said, I've seen it, I stand by my decision on field and I'm not going to change it. Whereas Nigel Owen straight on Twitter is like, mate, you can't jump over people as a penalty. So you can see how even interpretations between two top-level refs in high-level high competitions can be completely different. I find that really interesting. Yeah, but was, was Nigel Owens a top player? No, but then neither was Mikey. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, but you know, you know what I mean? There's also, I think he made it pretty clear that he's got that player sensitivity. For me personally, I think that's, that's the way that, that refereeing should go. Do you fancy it then, Benji? Becoming a refereeing? Wow, no. <laughs> no way. Oh, no, no, no. I would be dreadful, mate. Just symbolically, even if I made a mistake, I would still just throw some cards to anybody who would even question the fact that I could have made a mistake. Oh, mate, no, no chance. You were refereeing those scrums in the ITV studio last week, so you can do it. <laughs> hello. Um, hello there. What voice do you want me to do? We will do a little bit. I'll just do my voice. Do I? your voice. Yeah, thanks. Hello, I'm Joe Marler. People think I hate people, but I don't. <laughs> I actually love interaction with people. I love finding out what jobs they do and whether I could do what they do. The Joe Marler Show. Joe Marler Show. With new episodes every Wednesday. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Uh, well, let's have a chat about the other Six Nations games in round three now then. Um, not many would have predicted it, but Wales are still on for a Grand Slam and England are under a bit of pressure. So um, how do you see that one going? Um, I, honestly, I was not, I, I'm not happy, or not happy. I'm not uh, reassured with the England performance. Uh, and to be honest, like I said to you guys, Wales, I think it reminds me of that 2012 where they had the worst losing streak in a row with Warren Gatland. And then they came to Paris, they won the, the opener, shit game also. Uh, the, the opener uh, against us in Paris and then ended up doing the Grand Slam. So, yeah, we slagged them off. They're not as good. There's this and that. There's bits and red cards that impact the games massively. I agree. But in the end, they have two wins. They still scored some beautiful tries. They have some pretty useful weapons in the backs in terms of scoring ability and creating stuff out of nothing. And, and they're going to play against a clearly not at top England side. So, funnily enough, I, I, I back Wales. Not, not a huge win, but I still back them. Uh, so if elite level sport, well, elite level sport is about winning and Wales are obviously winning, but if there was the worst performing Six Nations team to win a Grand Slam, it'd be Wales. Like I find them horrible to watch. Um, and I still, I don't think they really know where they're going. I don't think they produce decent rugby. Um, I mean, s- some decent half, a decent half against Scotland, the second half against the red card. They've got some quality in Lewis Rezamit, guys that can finish some serious pace. But you mentioned, Benji, England have been seriously undercooked. For me, it's almost like this is their third preseason game for a lot of their players. So maybe they might start to hit their straps and, and find a stride. Look, I just, I'd find watching Wales horrible. Uh, watching England isn't much better, but I, I think they've got more about them. They are slightly more organized, even if they haven't been... They haven't been great to watch, but I, I think they've got too much. I think once they find that form and things start to click for them with the coaches that they've got around them, with the performances that they're capable of, I see them winning in, in, in Wales. I just don't think Wales have got enough in the tank. I think they've been fortunate the first two games, and I think this is going to be the, the game where they fail. So an English went away from home for me. What I've taken away from that, Johnny, is you are really looking forward to watching Wales for England this week. <laughs> Both horrible to watch. <laughs> I, but I mean, England can't get worse. The, oh, can they? I don't know. But like that's like I said, a step forward last week against Italy. But I mean, they can't be that bad again. They've got too much quality. They operate at too high a level week in week out for their clubs in the Prem. I just, I just, it just can't. It can't continue. And if it does, there's a real issue. So. Look, I think that England should click eventually, and I think this is the game for them to try and kick on, especially before that game against France next week. Uh, this one's a huge one for them in Cardiff. And it looks like Ireland are going to pick a pretty similar team to what they've done in the first couple of rounds. Not too many changes. Um, so is it going to be another long day for Italy? Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think, I think Ireland are, to be honest, did a solid performance against France, but just missed out because they got beaten by just slightly better. Uh, didn't convert their opportunities, but strategy-wise, I think they were really going, going somewhere. They'll be absolutely livid with that defeat, but I think they'll be pretty proud of their effort. So I think they're in a positive building sort of uh, uh, dynamic. And so I think it's going to be a long day at the office for the, for the Italians again. 
Yeah, I agree. I think it has been tough. I think they're in similar position. Like I said, they're similar to Wales, but I sort of felt that that positive performance against France was a decent step in a in a positive direction. They they've been battling as well. Look, I, I hope for the game and for the tournament, Italy step up a little bit more. Um, they've had some moments of magic, especially against England, and you just I hope it's closer. I think morally for them, I mean, it must be tough getting pumped every week like Autumn Nations Cup, Six Nations. It, it can't be fun coming to work and the week leading up to it must be um, must be tough going mentally. So I hope for them that there's a bit more about them. Uh, they can create a little bit more and finish a bit better and um, can hang in that game a bit longer. So again, clearly a, a win away from home for Ireland, but I hope it's not as comprehensive as the other ones. Well, let's get your predictions formally locked in then because uh, we have joined forces with the Guinness Pint Predictor on Match Pint, haven't we? So anyone listening can join in and compete against you guys. It's really simple. Just download the Match Pint app, predict the scores, beat your mates and win a whole load of great rugby prizes. And to compete against Johnny and Benji, all you need to do is enter our private league with the league code LARUGBY. That's L-E-R-U-G-B-Y. Johnny is still ahead, Benji. Johnny's still ahead. He is uh, my time to strike. So honestly, I will say a short, short win of Wales against England, 16-15, and a big win of Ireland against Italy. And I will put that 45-10. And obviously for the big one that we we all care so much about because it is going to happen, because it is going to be played, and because France are going to deliver, uh, I would say a big win for France. but, But I mean, a big win is still, I'd say, 20 to 10. Right, so we've got some clashes, Benji. This could be the week that it all turns around or I open up a gap. I think that, firstly, I think England are going to away from home. They're going to go win away from home in Cardiff. So I'm going to go 23-15 for England. If I was a real bastard, I would say 28-0 for Scotland. That'd be some serious <laughs> betting. Um, but I'm going to say, look, I, I think, and I also almost want, as much as I'm Scottish, although I do not have my French passport, I I almost want to see France win this game just because of the story. I think it'd be magnificent if they won this game. I'm going to say 27-22 for France. Um, if the game goes ahead this weekend, uh, no matter who they sh- they shove in that team, I think they're going to do it and, and make it happen. So 27-22 for France, I think they'll be a bit much and too powerful uh, for the Scottish side. And in Italy, I think it's going to be 39-17 to Ireland. I'm hoping for a few more points from Italy and it's be a bit closer than the previous ties. But I think it's 17 points on the board. That's decent. So 39-17 for Ireland. We will see. And just briefly, before we move away from the international game, you both have played against him and he came over to France and had a couple of stints in the top 14. But Dan Carter's hung up his boots this week. So hard to compare different generations and positions. But um, where does Dan Carter rank in the list of the greats of the game? Top I two? Think personally, yeah, mate, he's all the way up there. Absolutely all the way up there. There's no point, like you said, there's no point ranking. How can you compare him to John Alomu? How can you compare him to, I don't know, any other, of Philippe Sela? You know, it's, it's just complicated to compare. What I love about the bloke is that the number 10 jersey, there's something mythical about it. The number 10 of the All Blacks, there's something doubly mythical about it. And not only is he a double World Cup winner, but he's like records, you know, point scorer for the All Blacks. Just not just one of the one of the good All Blacks, one of the most amazing All Blacks. And on top of that, he went to France twice, won the league twice. Obviously, he played what six or seven games for Perpignan, then broke his leg. But still, everybody said that he he there was this aura and this charisma about him on and off the pitch because he's a very very sociable, let's put it this way, and kind yeah. and positive <laughs> dude. Um, and 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 he and he led racing where everybody's like, listen, he is gone and dusted, and he's cooked chicken. That one, he's just way too old. And he was a legend, and he connected in a personal way. It was really cute to see his interview about saying he wanted to be Batman and Brice Dulin to be his Robin, yeah, because awesome. that's the connection they had. It was just he's just a fun, positive guy who always kept a smile on his face and delivered some extraordinary performances. But what what strikes me the most is that he traveled everywhere and he performed everywhere. I think symbolically when he went to Japan the first. First time he won the league with his team, didn't he? So it's like, you know, the, the guy's a genius and, and and will be renowned and remembered as an absolute legend. I think so, Top, like you're talking about different people in different positions. I think if you're going to class, like we're children, and class people and where they rank in all terms, like if, if you're thinking tens, for me, there are two that stand out. So you got Johnny Wilkinson and you got DC, you got Dan Carter. Um, and two, the, the key thing about the pair of them is that they, um, the same position, but very, very different personalities. Um, but both absolutely made it work for different reasons. Um, DC, like you said, much more sociable, enjoyed a beer every now and again. 
um, Johnny much more serious. But look, you, you, you said it. He's won everywhere he's gone. He's won. Not always surrounded by the most talent, but like he's done at Crusaders, wonderful franchise, Perpignan, incredible, and at Racing, where not so much the athleticism and the creativity that we saw at the start of his career, but organization, perseverance, determination, drag people with him, and more importantly, just a joy off the pitch, tremendous bloke. So, look, one of the probably the best two standoffs that we've in recent times we've seen and probably all time. Um, and for me, he absolutely going back, you know, how he played against the Lions 2005 games then like performances was just absolutely magical to watch um, and took the game to another level. So probably one of the best that France has ever seen. And just a quick line on the top 14 before we go, we've already discussed how hopefully we'll see the, um, the Kayser BT Derby in the six nations this weekend, Scotland, <laughs> France, but we saw the Kayser BT Derby in the top 14 at the weekend, didn't we? And, um, well, it didn't work out too well for the, the beaty side of things, did it, Johnny? Oh, mate, that was tough to watch. Um, yeah, Yannick Rue was pissed off, wasn't he? Inadmissible. Um, yeah, inexcusable. And it clearly was. You know, I mean, he also, he fielded a team pretty much with most of his starters. It's not like he sent academy kids. You get caught between, you go to Clermont, you get annihilated like that. You lose three people with injury. You then come to a crunch game in three, four games time. You could be in real, real trouble. So... Look, a humiliation, uh, just the manner of it as well. Like the tackling was embarrassing. Like the defense was embarrassing. And yes, you're up against Yato. Cami Lopez is one of the best games I've seen him run in a long, long time. He was exceptional. But the gulf in class was extraordinary. Um, and it was painful to watch. So look, not good for Bayonne. And for anyone who didn't see the scoreline, 73-73-3. Yeah, yeah for, for Clermont at home against Bayonne. So it's, it's a proper ass-whipping, to be honest. When, when I think we've spoken about this already when you have a back row with Pisili, Yato, Fritzli, Judekel, Concorier it's your biggest back row you can have and when you have a pair of centers of George Mola and Apina Kalevu aka Mike Tyson it's it is pretty spectacular <laughs> it's a to demolition watch, derby right? they, they are absolutely huge and they absolutely killed Bayonne but the funny funny thing about Clermont I think we'll speak about it I could not even dream of uh, believing this this rumor of Franck Azema leaving from Montpellier yes Franck Azema is from, from Perpignan. Perpignan is, what, 50 minutes away from Montpellier. So it's the biggest rivalry. Uh, but Franck Azema's force coach is, is Bernard Gouta, the former number uh, open side captain and legend who's got a whole stadium wing that's uh, under his name in Perpignan. Didier Bess is the former titan and hooker of Montpellier. And he's the scrummaging coach for ISM. So all this, this, this um, coaching staff, very much linked to it. Um, I think Franck Azema hesitated at some point uh, of saying, did I not oversign in Clermont, staying a little bit too long, questioning his impact on the squad and all that. That's why the results have been sort of up and down. I couldn't believe it at first, but apparently it might have something to it. So we'll chat about it more in the next couple of weeks. And do you think he'll take the entire coaching team with him? I don't, I don't think he'll move on his own. Definitely not. And basically, if he doesn't take them, I don't think they will stay behind him in Clermont. Okay, because like you touched on, like Didier Bess was a great guy. Uh, when I was at Montpellier, he did not get the time of day. He was like hidden in a cupboard yeah, yeah. and he did the academy. Like he wasn't even allowed to be with the pros. But like you said, I almost thought that Azema would jump further. Like there's a lot of chat of how it's almost too nice with Paja, Lopez, almost too matesy and he can't quite coach the way he wants to coach because he's too close and too good friends with that group of players. So it might be a clean break for him and a new project. He had doubts about his impact on the team, but that was two years ago. When I left, basically, obviously, <laughs> gaping hole, you know, that was impossible. That was impossible to get now. But in all fairness, it's, it's, it is true that my, my departure was, wasn't planned and it was an impact. But my departure was linked to Damien Chouli, who was the captain of the team, to Flip van der Merf, who, spoke, who was one of the foreigners who spoke perfect French. Pato Fernandez, Argentinian, spoke perfect French. It's those guys, you know, that link a team together and that really put it, put it all together. Uh, Rougerie taking a step back the year before, but clearly not there anymore. So he, he, was, he was struggling. He, he hesitated for a long time. He thought, because remember, he arrived in 2010, uh, July 2010, after they won the, the title as a backs coach. And then he stayed three years with Vern Quarter, three years with John O'Gibbs, three years with Bernard Guta. It's a hell of a long time to have the same sort of boss. Listen, I'll, honestly, I'll, I'll give him a buzz this weekend. If you see that I've signed for Montpellier for next year, that means the, the, the phone call went well. Let's, let's face it. But um, I didn't see it happening. And now I'm almost starting to believe that he could have something to it. Brilliant. Do some digging, Benji, and we'll ask you again next week. Yes, mate. Apart from Claremont's demolition of Bayonne, anything else stand out for you in the top 14 this weekend? 
Agen lost again. I mean, unfortunately, they're going to go down in history of being the only team who's never won a game in the whole top 14 season. So for me, it wasn't the fact that Agen lost. It was the Montpellier win and a bonus point win. I think they're only the third team, even though Agen have lost pretty much every game, they're only the third or fourth team to get a bonus point at Agen. I'm not sure if you saw the images at the end, but Julien Tisseron, who's the young fullback I played with at Bayonne, came through the academy. I think he scored two tries in the game in floods of tears at the end of the game. Just so happy. I think it must be such a stressful, pressurized environment at Montpellier right now. And it's obviously been a roller coaster year, but the emotion shown by there was him and two other guys in floods of tears at the end of the game. So happy to have won at Agen, have a few more points on the board and alleviate, alleviate a little bit of pressure at the bottom of the table. So that for me was pretty special. It, like it's, The writing's on the wall for Agen we've known for months, but I think for Montpellier to get that win and the manner in which they did, bonus point win when they haven't been playing great rugby um, and the emotion shown by Jude Tisseron and, his, and his, his couple of mates was actually really cool to see. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. And we're all keeping our fingers crossed that the uh, Kayser Beatty France-Scotland derby in the Six Nations goes ahead this weekend. So Absolutely. we will see. We look forward to chatting about hopefully the action on the pitch rather than off it next week. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers, guys. Au revoir. Cheers, boys. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.